This morning I've been given an opportunity to talk to you about serving, uh, which may make you think of different things. We're calling this Sunday Love Serving. Now, when I talk about serving, you might kind of subconsciously roll your eyes and think, ah, you know, here we go again. I've heard a dozen messages on serving. Um, or, or maybe, oh, he's just here to try and get me on a rota. Um, that isn't the aim of the message at all today, and I hope you'll see that as I preach it. Um, or maybe actually you've been serving for ages in multiple different ways, and you're thinking, I'm feeling like I'm over-served. I'm a bit burnt out. I'm a bit tired. Then, again, you know, I hope that this message will speak to you. I believe that I've got something fresh for us as a church today, at least I hope so, from God's Word. And so stick with me. We're going to be in the book of Haggai this morning. Um, I don't know how often you've read the book of Haggai or when the last time you opened it up. It's a little book about three pages long in the Old Testament in between Zephaniah and Zechariah. So why don't you turn to the book of Haggai? Uh, it's an absolute cracker of a book and I think that we will enjoy reading it together. Um, I believe that God's word, the Bible, is alive and active and speaks to us today. I hope you do too. And so I pray that this kind of, um, we're looking at a text that's about a people 2,500 years ago. And I hope through it God speaks to us as a church, to you individually, to me individually, uh, about kingdom advancement, about kingdom building in this part of London, in this city, in this town, in this church, in Downham. And so uh, I thought, uh, while you find the book, I'll give you some brief history. I'm no historian but I know a few things, and um, I thought it's nice to have a little bit of a picture before we kind of go into the text. So the year is 586 BC, a little while ago, and um, Jerusalem is a city, the place where God's people dwell. And so God's people are dwelling in that city, and essentially... A group called the Babylonians, they come and they destroy the city. They ransack it. They smash everything up and they destroy a temple that was obviously built by King Solomon. So they destroy King Solomon's temple and the city is a complete and utter mess. It's a ruin. And they take the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and they take them out of the city and they take them into exile into a foreign land. And so the people are there for 50 years. 50 years. And then, a little bit of history for you, that is then at the start of the Persian Empire. So the king of Persia, Cyrus, he comes and he defeats the Babylonians. And so Babylon is wiped out and the Persian Empire reigns. And Cyrus, the king of Persia, um, about a year after he does that, says to the Jewish people, you know what, I want you to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple. He says, go back, build your temple, and I'll even give you the resources to do it. And so the people of Israel, uh, many of them, not all of them, go back. And all of this is owing to the sovereign hand of God to fulfill prophecies that were made by Jeremiah. And you can read about that in the book of Ezra. See how it all kind of just ties in together. And among the exiles returning, so among the people returning were Zechariah and Haggai the prophet, most probably. And again, uh, Ezra chapter 5 can tell you about that. And so the people of God have been released to go back with an agenda to go and build the temple uh, under the leadership of Zerubbabel and of the high priest Joshua. Now, They return, as you can imagine, enthusiastic, eager to start building, eager to get involved. But shortly after they return, problems start to happen. 
They get discouraged. They get despondent. They just can't be bothered. They lay down some foundations and then they kind of just stop. And they don't do anything for 18 years. They do no building of the temple for 18 years. And it's this 18-year delay that prompts the message of Haggai. God speaks to Haggai about this, and so Haggai speaks to the people. And so let's read. If you've not found it yet, then you know you need prayer maybe. Um, but it will come up on the screen behind me. It is a short little book, so don't worry if you're still trying to turn in there. You could be there at the end of the meeting. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehezadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in panelled houses? Panel just means nice, fancy houses. While this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. You earn wages. Uh, so the one who earns wages does so to put them in a bag. With holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruin while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above have withheld their dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and on all their labours. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, and Joshua, the son of Jehezadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord uh, their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehezadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that it's not an old book that is irrelevant today, but it, it speaks powerfully to us. And we pray that as we look at it together, as we look at this message from Haggai the prophet, God, it will speak powerfully to us, that you will stir us, you will move us, and you will open it to us in a fresh way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as a side note, it'd be great if we still recorded the dates in this way, a bit long-winded to write at the top of a page maybe, the 24th day of the month in the sixth month in the second year of the king. Um, that's just an aside. Essentially, the people in this passage were, they spent time making sure their own houses were built up and were in good condition. 
But God's house, God's temple, remained a complete and utter ruin. And because of this, the people are living an unsatisfied life. It says, it's like you plant much, but you harvest little. You drink, but you are never full. You eat, but you never have enough. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn money, but it's like your purse has holes in it. Everything they turn to in an attempt to gain fulfillment and satisfaction ends up in vain. And it's remarkable because there are so many comparisons with us. Think about us. Think about how many times we devote ourselves to clothes, to food, to drink, to earning wages, to money. We devote ourselves to these things. And whenever we devote ourselves to things that are not the glory of God, we continue to live an unsatisfied life. And we neglect our ministry to the body of Christ. You know... If you spend your money and your time and your energy seeking comfort and security from the world and you do not spend yourself to the glory of God, then every pleasure will leave an aftertaste of guilt and unsatisfaction. You know, I feel like the Israelites, they get quite a bad press. We like to sort of, you know, point the finger at them a lot of the time. Because they basically spent the whole time building their own house. They didn't do it because they were bad, evil people. They didn't do it because they were nasty people. But they just became so easily discouraged. They just became discouraged. They lost a sense of priority. They lost a sense of what should be at the center. And essentially, they became self-centered people. They became very self-centered. And unfortunately, we live in a world where this is such an easy trap for all of us to fall into. And I see it in lots of different ways. But two ways where I see it particularly the most, for, I guess, for my generation is, is this. The first thing is that we are a generation that thinks it is completely and utterly normal and a good thing to create not just one space, but multiple spaces on the internet that are dedicated to you. Your photos what you've been doing with your day, what you're up to, the way you've been enjoying your life. Not only is that a normal thing to do on Facebook and Instagram and whatever it is, not only is it that if you somehow don't do that, you're not going to be as satisfied and that your life won't be as fulfilled. And that in doing that, you'll find more satisfaction. Now, I don't have any social media at all for various reasons. And I'm not here to tell you that the application of this message is to go and delete your Instagram or delete your Facebook. That's not what I'm here telling you to do. But what I am saying to you is that we know those things, in fact, often lead to more loneliness and more disconnect and more unsatisfaction than they do satisfaction. But our culture seems to think, now, if you let everyone know about you, you will. And so that's just an interesting thing. Do with it what you will. Another example is this, in my culture, in my generation especially, if you can just get enough money to get yourself a deposit on a house, then you will have comfort and security. Or if you can just get enough money so you can get a bigger house, you will have comfort and security. Or if you can just get enough money together that you can get yourself on a couple of holidays a year, then you will know peace and comfort. That is the lie that our culture tells us. And so you start to think, oh, do I, you know, do you give to church? No, no, we're just trying to get kind of some stuff sorted first. I've got some savings to put away. Okay. Uh, Are you serving in the church? I know I kind of. There's just a lot of things going on. We've just got to get some stuff sorted first. You know, are you, are you building God's kingdom? No, I've just got to get some stuff sorted first. If we follow the message our culture 
preach it to us, we end up frustrated and empty and ultimately unsatisfied. You know, Jesus didn't mince his words. He said it pretty clearly in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added. And my experience is this, is that kingdom seekers become kingdom builders. You cannot build a kingdom if you've not been seeking the kingdom because you don't know what it looks like. How do, you know what, how do you know what to build if you haven't been seeking it? Kingdom seekers, those who seek the kingdom, will build the kingdom. You know, when we walk with God, when we spend time in his presence, when you are close to him, there is nothing that compares to that anywhere. Because, I mean, the fact is we live, in case you haven't noticed, in a very different time to the Israelites. I mean, the Israelites, they were living in a very different time. And for them, right, the temple was like the center point. Like you had to be at the temple. That was the place where God's presence dwelt. That was the place they could find forgiveness and unity with God. We no longer need a temple. Why? Because what the temple represented and failed to do completely is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the true temple of forgiveness, of healing, of reconciliation, not just to the Jewish nation, but to anyone who will put their trust in him, to anyone who will follow him in faith, for anyone who will believe in his death and resurrection. That because of that, it said that God has exalted him to the highest place and has given him the name above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, let me say this to you. Jesus is God's chosen king who is sat at the right hand of him, interceding for us and ruling and reigning. And when Jesus came here, Jesus is king and his kingdom started while he was on earth. The kingdom of God. And that is not limited to a certain place or location, but it comes out and continues to grow through his people and through his church. And so when we say we are kingdom builders, that's what we're doing as believers. We are building God's kingdom. And the Israelites, they prioritize their own houses over God's kingdom. And we ourselves can prioritize our own kingdom, our own houses over God's kingdom. We can be self-centered. And I've said this to you before, the more your life is about others and about God, the freer you become. You know, there's some, in fact, amazing examples of people like that in this very church. And uh, we was going to thank an individual who couldn't be here today. But there's individuals in this church, in this room, that have been serving in ministries. I came to this church as like a six-year-old, seven-year-old, nearly 20 years ago. There's individuals that, in this church that are serving in the same ministries they were serving in then when I was a kid, for when I came back. And in many other ministries. There's people that have been serving this church faithfully for decades, for years and years. That have been building the kingdom. There's others of you that have joined and have got struck in in building the kingdom. And I want to say thank you to those people on behalf of the church. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your commitment to the church. Thank you for spending your time and energy to build God's kingdom. Because in doing so, you are kingdom builders and you're Christ-like. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. When we serve, we are being Christ-like. That's what we're doing. And on that note about people that were serving when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I came to something here called Kids Club. Or we called it God's Gang. It was called God's Gang. 
And then it became kids' cover. And many people in the room actually served on that ministry. It was like a Monday night. All the local kids would come and there would be kind of music and games and a bit of craziness. We'd all sit on the floor and then there'd be like a little Bible lesson. I wasn't always the best behaved at those when I was a child, but I was there. Now, believe it or not, I can actually remember some of the messages. I don't know what, maybe what, I don't remember other things maybe from that age, but I can remember some of the messages. And one of the messages came from a lady uh, who comes to 9.30, Nanny Jean, Jean Nichols. Many of you will know Jean. And she gave a message that I remember to this day, I was probably 10. And she got a flip chart, a bit like this one. And she wrote on it, joy. She wrote joy, I don't know if you can see that. She wrote joy on the flip chart. And she taught us as kids, she said, this is an acronym. And what it stands for, J, stands for Jesus. Jesus comes first. He's at the center. He's always the priority. Jesus comes first. She said, O stands for others. Others come next. Others, serving others, looking out for others. And last is yourself. You come last. That's how to know true joy. That's what she said, isn't it? And every time I hear the word joy, it's what I think of. It's stuck with me just for all of these years. But what we like to try and do is we like to put the why on the, on this, I'm going to put the why down there. We'll put the why first. We'll put ourselves first. And it says, as someone told me in the first meeting, why Joe? Which is just a coincidence. <laughs> um, or, you know. Yodge, maybe yodge. But we try to put ourselves first. The culture says, no, put the why here. Yourself, you're the one that's most important. You're the center. Make sure you're okay. But it's the opposite of what, we, is the, what the Christian life's about. I learned that as a, I got taught that as a nine, ten-year-old. I'm still learning that to this very day. But it's, it's so valuable. And so let's not be a self-centered people. Let's be a people who build the kingdom of God, who serve Jesus, who serve others, who serve his church. Because not only were the Israelites a, distra- uh, a self-centered people, they were a distracted people. I, when I went to university, I lived in my second and third year in a house with five other boys. And so you can imagine how clean it was. Um, I'll leave your imagination to I'm actually quite a tidy bloke. I like to keep things neat and tidy. So I was, it was like you're fighting a losing battle. And in the end, you just have to, you can't beat them, you've got to join them. And so um, in the end, that's what it was like. And my house was quite often... Not the tidiest. Now, the only time our house would be tidy was when we had to do exam preparation or revision. Because you would do anything to avoid revising. You would do anything to avoid actually doing some work. And so the house would be spotless. And people would come back and be like, wow, you know. It's the sort of time where you decide that I'm going to repair all my socks. Like I'm going to refold all the t-shirts in the cupboard. Like you do all these things because you feel like you're being productive, but you're actually avoiding work. I don't know if anyone else has that experience of procrastinating and being distracted. But we are so easily distracted. These things are fighting for our attention 24-7. We're just so easily distracted from them. It's never been easier to get distracted from the things that God has called us to do. And sometimes, actually, the distractions, sometimes our intentions were good. The Israelites, they went with good intentions. They wanted to build a temple, but they just get distracted. And for whatever reason, sometimes we have just drifted. I once heard someone say that distraction is the devil's friend. Distraction is the devil's friend. Because he distracts us just for long enough. When we get distracted for just long enough, our gaze is no longer on Jesus and what he's called us to do, but just on other things. It's no longer on building his temple, serving his church, building his kingdom, but on our own agenda. And I want to ask you this morning, are you distracted? 
Are you in a season where you've been distracted? Maybe you are. Maybe it's never been easier to build our own panelled houses. To live as a Christian is so different. But even as a Christian, we can just live a self-indulged life, a distracted life. To do everything other than build God's temple. To be consumers in his church. To come and just consume. I'm just going to come and consume and not contribute. We can do that for so long. We can continue to ignore the injustice that we see around us. There is injustice everywhere we look. And we can just ignore it, get distracted, pretend that we don't see. You know, William James, who's an American philosopher in the 1800s, I've read this quite recently, said the greatest use of a life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. The greatest use of a life is to spend it on something that will outlast it, to build things that go far beyond the short years you have on this earth. And and, and I want to kind of let that just sink in with you this morning. What are you building? You know, we learn a lot about the Israelites in this passage. They're self-centered people or distracted people, but we also learn a lot about God in this passage. We learn a lot about who God is, and we see how faithful he is. In verse 8, or 7 and 8, he says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Another translation says, give careful thought to your ways. That is a command of God. And he says it twice in the text. It's like, pay attention. I mean this. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Realign. Refocus. What's at the center? I mean, what did God was so desperate for the people of Israel just to put him at the center? That's all he wants is put me. Listen, you should serve no other gods. Serve me. Have no other idols. He wants us to put him at the center. And quite often it's a heart thing. Quite often it's a heart thing. Because some of you, maybe you've been serving for a long time. You're thinking, ah, oh, I can switch off. I ask you to, to consider your ways. What's your, what's your heart like when you're serving? Are you growing resentful? Are you becoming, are you begrudgingly serving? Oh, I've got to serve this morning. Is that how you come when you come to serve? Consider your ways. Give thought to how your heart is before God as you serve and build his kingdom. Maybe... You know, it's a hard thing, but also it requires action. You've got to take a step. I love it in this passage. It kind of just maps it out because it says, God says, okay, you want to put me at the center? Go to the mountains, bring down timber, and build my house so I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. God tells him to do something, to take, uh, to do something physically. It was hard work that they had to do. They had to go up to the mountains. It wasn't glamorous. He didn't say, you know what, just think about it in your heart. You know, oh, you just think about doing it. I once heard an analogy from a guy called Francis Chan saying that sometimes us Christians, it's like Simon says. So that's, you know, Simon says, pat your head, you pat your head. Simon says, rub your tummy, you rub your tummy. Simon says, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, knock your knees, you knock your knees. So we, we kind of get that game. When it's like Jesus says, we don't always like to play that game. When Jesus says, well, God says, put me first. Jesus says, serve the poor. Jesus says, do this, do that. And what we like to say is, can you imagine kids playing Simon Says, saying, I'll tap, uh, rub your head, I memorized what you said. You know, I learned it in Greek. You know, I did it in my, I tapped my head in my heart. That's not how you play the game, you'd be out, you'd be on the sidelines, no prize for you. And when Jesus says, when God says, do something to move, I, say, oh, I just did it in my heart. You know, I memorized what it said in the scripture. Now, it requires action. 
We have to take a step. And that's what he says, go up and build. And then he says, then he tells them why. Why? Why should we do any of this stuff? Because he tells them, no, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. Everything we do is for the glory of God. We serve so that he may be honoured and he may take pleasure. Why do you try to uh, be a good neighbour and interact with them and show the love of Christ so God may be honoured? Why do you go to work and carry yourself with integrity and honesty so that God may be honoured and gloried? Why do you come and get up early to come and serve in church so that God may be honoured and gloried? Why do we serve the poor? Because God will be honoured. Why do we try to look out for those that nobody else looks out for? Because God will be honoured and gloried. Everything we do is so that God may be honoured in and gloried in. And so that is why we build his kingdom, for his glory. Amen? And the other thing that amazes me about this passage, right, is, um, I just, I, honestly, it's mental, because 18 years they've just done their own thing. 18 years. That's a long time. You know, I'm barely, I haven't been 18 long myself. Um, 18 years. But as soon as they decide they want to put God back in the centre, he's so faithful to them. When they come back before him, he promised, what does he promise to them? I'm with you. He doesn't say, oh no, stand up. No, you don't, deserve, you don't deserve to have me with you. Do another few years kind of hard. No, he says, I am with you. As soon as they come, he says, right, go build my temple and I will be with you. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe you need to come before God in repentance. Maybe you need to come before God and say, God, you've not been at the center of my life, but I want to come again this morning and thank you for your faithfulness and put you back at the center of all things. I want to build your house. And that promise is what keeps us going. When I was uh, training to be a teacher... Uh, I ran the youth ministry over at the Lee site. We had a Friday night youth ministry. We ran it every Friday night. 30-odd kids would come. And when I was an NQT, uh, many of you know, it's quite intense. It's quite an intense year. And training to be a teacher was quite an intense year. And the first couple of years of teaching were intense. But I carried on running the Friday night youth ministry. Um, so in your, when you're 22, Friday night is not the night. You, most of your mates are not in the church um, serving young people. And at times, it was tough. You'd work a very long week, you're very tired, and the last thing you want to do is go and be with young people. You've been working for them all week and kind of listen to the things they're carrying. Some of them had some real heavy stuff they were bringing and try and be energetic and kind of vibe with them for a few hours. You think, I just want to be at home, I just want to be out. And it was tough at times, but we knew that God was with us and we knew we were doing it for his glory. We weren't doing it because anyone asked us. We were doing it because, no, we're building his kingdom. And so a lot of those young people I'm still in, you know, still communicate with, and we're still seeing God work in their lives. But that's why you do it. Because he is with us. When we are weak, he gives us strength. And that's what it was like for me, serving. Whenever I've served, whenever I've done things, I don't know, God, you are with me. And then, in verse 14, it tells us why they do it as well. They do it for his glory, but it says he stirred up the spirit within them. He says, he stirred up the spirit. It's not a clever preacher that does it. It's not me coming to you saying, oh, I think you should serve. No, that's nonsense. It's God stirring in you a passion to build his kingdom. God stirring in you a desire to build his church. And so my prayer now is that God will stir up a spirit in you to do that. You know, the, the message of Haggai is a really simple one. Consider your ways. Think about what you're doing prioritize building God's kingdom and be kingdom-centered people. That's all he's saying. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear me when I say this. There are many, many worthy causes out there to build the kingdom. 
I, but I know for one second think that it's only within these walls can we build God's kingdom. And many of you are doing many things outside of this church. And we want to encourage you in that and tell you to continue to build his kingdom, not just in the church, but in your houses and in your workplaces and everywhere you go. But what I would also say is this. In Ephesians 5, Jesus said that he loves the church and that he gave himself up for her and that when, and he will return again for his glorious bride, the church, and for all of those who trust in him. The church is God's plan A to change the world, to bring his glory, to build his kingdom. And, and, and it most definitely is. And so I'll say, build his church with us. Will you give yourself wholeheartedly to the building of his kingdom? It's not always exciting. We don't always see the fruit immediately, but it builds his kingdom. And actually, it brings us closer into a relationship with Christ. As we serve and imitate him, it brings us closer to him. And so I'd say to you, if you have a passion to see young people or children grow and come to know Jesus, why don't you serve in the children's work? Little did those people know when they were serving in kids club all those years ago, when I was a little bit of a pain in the backside, we could say, did they think that I would be here now? Little did they know that. Little did they know the fruit that would come. There was probably times when they could not be bothered to come out on a Monday night. They all probably had things going on. They thought, no, we're going to go and we're going to build God's kingdom. We're going to go and we're going to serve in this area. And there's been lots and lots of fruit from it. You never know the fruit that will come. Maybe you've got a desire to see people welcomed into church, connected, made to feel at home, welcomed into the family, brought into community. Then get involved with the welcome and hospitality that we do here at King's. Maybe you've got a passion to see people released in sung worship, in glory and praising God. Then get involved with the worship and production that we do here. There's many ways you can get involved. You know, I probably believe that there's many of you here, I believe it, that have dreams and desires that God has put in you. And I believe that God would say again to you this morning, I am with you. I am with you. You've been distracted? Okay, come back to the center. I am with you. You've been self-centered? Okay, come back to the center. I am with you. Dream again. If you've lost heart, you've got distracted, then dream again and go in the strength he gives you. Dream again what it will be like to have a church where we put him at the center. Dream again about what it would be like to have a church that impacts and reaches the local community for Jesus. Dream again about the values of the kingdom flowing out of this place for righteousness and love and justice and mercy to flow from here to this place and to the nations. Dream again of the things that God is calling us to do. There might be others of you that you think, I don't even know where to begin. And I'll tell you, I hope you know that we are committed here as a church to build God's kingdom. And so why don't you join us? Why don't you step in and help us to build his kingdom here in this setting? I'm going to ask um, the bands to come back up uh, just now if they, if they would. I, um, I joined this church again a few weeks ago to come and be the site pastor here. I grew up coming here. Um, well, I've grown up my whole life in the area. I've, many of you know my granddad grew up on Round Table Road, which is like two roads away, and my nan on Whitefoot Lane. And my family's been in the area a long time. And I came here again, and I'm very passionate about this place. And I believe wholeheartedly that the best is yet to come for this church. 
I believe that the best is yet to come. I believe that we can bring the good news of Jesus more and more to this community in Downham. I believe that God is going to move amongst us. I'm excited about the journey that we're going to go on together. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in the many years that we're here together building his kingdom. I am. And so I'll say to you, let's dream big again about his kingdom. Let's fix our eyes again on Jesus. Let's worship him for his faithfulness. In a little while, there's going to be a moment for you to respond and actually sign up for teams and things like that. And we're going to kind of have what we call a love-serving moment during the meeting. Before we do any of that, let's come again and worship Jesus. Let's come again and thank God for his faithfulness. Thank him that when Jesus died, it said that the, the curtain was torn in two. That God's presence is no longer in a temple that is broken out, that is amongst us. And that because of Jesus, we can find forgiveness. Because of Jesus, we can find closeness with God, reconciliation. And so we're going to come and we're going to worship him for his faithfulness and thank him. You're going to get your heart before him. You're going to consider where you are. You're going to consider your ways. You're going to say, oh God, you know my heart. We're going to come again. This song talks about coming to God's table again. Coming to feast at God's table again. And so why don't we as a church, why don't we stand even now actually? Let's stand together. And we're going to come and we're going to feast at his table. We're going to worship him. And I'm going to get back up and give you just some simple instructions about how you can actually take a practical step to step in and serve. I'm going to pray and we'll worship God together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your faithfulness. God, we're so grateful that you choose to invite us in to build your kingdom. God, you don't need us to build your kingdom. You don't need us to advance the gospel. But in your mercy and in your grace, you choose to use us. And so we just pray right now, God, will we realign our focus on you? Help our hearts again come before you. Let us come and worship you for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, that where we are weak, you are strong. We thank you that where we are inconsistent, you are consistent. Thinking that where we stumble and fall, you stand strong. And so we come again to you now and we worship you for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.